it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. It's just been an uh, incredible week, like a, uh, a tornado of major stories, uh, as long as with along with the 2024 political environment, the illegal immigration that's happening, how it's affecting every major city, the crime uh, that's running over, the the. Uh, the bipartisan deal that fell apart, the new one that's taking shape. Uh, there is so much happening. Uh, and let's bring in Governor Chris Christie to discuss it. In case you do not know, yesterday Robert Hur came out with his report. After months of speculation and very little leaks, it turns out the only reason it seems that Joe Biden is not being prosecuted for his uh, misuse of classified documents is because he doesn't have the mental capacity to stand trial and be too sympathetic to a possible jury. Chris Christie, you've been in so many court cases, got this risk, uh, this rich legal background, former governor of New Jersey, author of a brand new book called What Would Reagan Do? Life Lessons from the Last Great President, uh, Last Great President. Uh, Governor, welcome back. What are your thoughts about what took place yesterday afternoon? Well, look, I I think it's a public confirmation from objective people um, of what we all see publicly which is that that Joe Biden has been declining, is in decline mentally. Um, And there's no doubt I can tell you, as someone who did this work for, um, you know, for seven years as the U.S. attorney in New Jersey, that how a, a, a potential defendant will come off as a witness is absolutely an important consideration on whether you bring a prosecution and think you can prove to a jury that someone's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think there were two problems here that they pointed out. Problem number one, which you just stated very clearly, that this is a crime that requires a knowing act. And that's what they said. I mean, this is even more damning than most people have pointed out, Brian. It's it's not just his memory. They're saying that back in 2017, they don't think they could definitively prove that back then, seven years ago, that Joe Biden was capable of a knowing act that he would recall. That's pretty extraordinary. It's not just talking about where his mental capacity sits today. It's tying it back to where his mental capacity may have sat even in 2017. Yeah, and, and then secondly— Okay, go ahead, sorry. And, and then secondly, the fact that Biden, when confronted about the documents, cooperated, turned the documents over immediately, um, that also shows a level of cooperation— that would also make it difficult to convince people that his crime was a knowing crime. So this is, I mean, I was shocked to see in a legal document the words that might have been spun out. Like sometimes it leaks, according to reports, Robert Hur would have put this in. But I saw it in black and white. He quote, he did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended. Uh, he, when did I stop being vice president? Forgetting the second day on the interview when his first term began. The report says he didn't remember the year that Bo died. He couldn't get within several years of when Bo died. And what you're talking about in 2017 is tapes they listened to of him talking to his ghostwriter. By the way, 
using classified documents he had no business taking about an uh, interaction he had with Afghanistan, a letter he wrote to Barack Obama as vice president. And they're saying that in 2017, with his interaction with his ghostwriter, it sounds like he was losing it. So to me, there's, there's this is so much worse than anything the Biden team could have hoped for. Well, of course, it's worse than if they would have said they were going to charge him. Yeah. I mean, it is. And, and look, and I think I hope that for everybody listening out there, it it begins to dispense with this idea of a two-tiered system of justice. I mean, Brian, the fact is that you're right. This is the kind of stuff in a two-tiered system of justice that would have just been leaked out and nobody would have known whether they really believed it or didn't, whether it was rumor or not. These prosecutors saw something that they thought was important to the decision they made. And to make sure the public knew why they made those decisions, they put brutal honesty into these documents. This was no, you know, uh, fixed job for Joe Biden. And I think that a lot of people would have expected that out of the Merrick Garland Justice Department. And you hear that from people, in, uh, some people in our party regularly. And I hope that this, for I don't care what the politicians think. I care what the public thinks. And I think this should restore, at least in some part, the public's confidence in the fact that there are a lot of good professional prosecutors right. who, when the truth needs to be told, will tell it. Because those are the prosecutors that I worked with when I was in the Justice Department. A couple of things, uh, Governor. So really, you're saying if, if, all, if justice is equal, the reason why Trump is being charged is because he hasn't lost his memory? I think that's part of it. And I think the other piece I told you is important, too. If, if the facts alleged by Jack Smith are correct, and I think they are, that Donald Trump actively fought returning the documents, actively instructed others to obstruct subpoenas, that's a much different circumstance than someone who, when confronted with it, says, come to a search, take whatever you want to take. Uh, we know that Donald Trump has said he didn't want them taking his boxes, that he instructed certain people to hide certain boxes from even his own lawyers. So it's the, both those things is that Donald Trump would not be seen as a sympathetic witness because he does not have um, the same, uh, you know, from the the prosecutor's perspective, doesn't have the same uh, memory issues that Joe Biden has. And secondly, Donald Trump obstructed their investigation while Joe Biden cooperated with it. See, the whole thing of obstruction, you know the legal terms. But if you take classified documents consistently over 40 years— and then you just say, hey, I'm going to put I'm literally going to put them anywhere in bad boxes, in bad garages, in musty attics. And I'll cooperate if you ever ask me. But I'm not going to say anything unless you ask me. So when they asked him, do you have classified documents? You could check. And the answer is, oh, yeah, you got a lot of them. I mean, isn't that well, and Brian? But I think, Brian, that's why they said right at the first page of the report that they believe that he they believe he willingly and knowingly took those documents. And so that's the other thing that was great about the report. They didn't justify Joe Biden's conduct. They said he willingly and knowingly took these. And then they said, but because his memory is so bad, we think it'll make him a sympathetic witness and make it difficult for us to prove what we believe is true, which is that he willingly and knowingly took them. And because he cooperated, that would be another thing that the jury could consider that would make him more sympathetic. 
it doesn't make Donald Trump's decision to obstruct it justifiable. It just means that Joe Biden gets that benefit because he didn't obstruct. But in the end, I think the important thing for everybody to note is they didn't make an excuse for Joe Biden's conduct right up front in the first sentence of the report. They say, we believe, the prosecutors believe, that he willingly and knowingly took these uh, these documents. You want to be entertained? Yeah. Here is Congressman Dan Goldman. Cut 20. My understanding as well, Joe, is that during these five hours, President Biden went through in great detail many conversations that he had with various other people from years and years ago. So he cherry picked a couple of examples uh, that perhaps we don't know, perhaps are in context, perhaps are out of context, related to very sensitive issues such as his son, really just to to bash him, just to impugn him. And it is so you get it. You get what they're doing. This is not spinnable. I don't think he knows. This is not spinnable. Because you know what the answer would be? Do me a favor, release the tapes. Do you think they want those tapes released? Hell no. And 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 look, the idea to say that they were taking a cheap shot at him when they chose not to prosecute him. I mean, the fact of the matter is, the ultimate cheap shot in this context would have been to prosecute him. They didn't. They made an objective decision. But an objective decision has to include the truth. And the truth is that when you can't remember when your term started, you can't remember when your term ended, you can't remember the date of your son's passing, that those were relevant to the decision not to prosecute. So they have to be put in the report if you're going to be a fair prosecutor. So the the thing that really matters most. So one, we're looking back and saying who's prosecuting and, you know, uh, equal justice. I got it. The other thing is we're actually he's running a country. It's our country. It's the world's most powerful country. And the Middle East is on fire right now. Our guys are being shot at regularly. And he is evident we are a number one supplier of Israel. Listen to this exchange. The same press conference. He came back to answer this question. Cut 10. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response In Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, initially the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. Okay, you hear him struggling, and you heard what he said. The Mexican president, yep. uh, Sisi. So, you know, he didn't say Mubarak. That's a that's a plus. But that is a that is the hottest place in the world right now. He just said what the Saudis have been saying, what all the enemies of Israel are saying, that the attacks on Gaza are over the top. He's never said that publicly before. And then he says Mexican's president. Your response? Look, I, I think it, it, it shows exactly what the prosecutor was saying, that, in fact, there are real moments where he – his memory does not serve him well, um, and as a result, doesn't serve the country well. And secondly, it's awful staff work. Look, one of the things you learn as a principal is that when your staff tells you not to go do a press conference when you're angry, as much as you want to go do one, you shouldn't do it. And the other thing that struck me during that press conference yesterday, Brian, 
was how angry Joe Biden was. Yep. And whenever you go out there as a principal with a lot of responsibility and you are answering questions from the media out of anger, it never serves you well, your cause well, or the country well. And I know they felt like they needed to respond to this report, right. but they should have waited until he calmed down after reading. And let's, let's face it, he, he's no dummy. He knows the political implications of what the Justice Department wrote about him yesterday. He was angry about it, and he came out and performed in a way that made matters worse, not better. So, uh, Governor... What happens? Uh, uh, does uh, Barack Obama come to him and says you can't win, Rock? Uh, you got to you got to throw in the towel. I mean, does you think he continues? He's already turned down the Super Bowl interview. I mean, we've never seen anything like this before. What do you think? Look, I think it's very problematic for the Democratic Party because now that everyone's waited this long, let's face it, Brian, the primaries can't be used anymore by anybody to to accumulate delegates other than Joe Biden. Almost all of the states where uh, in, in the country are having primaries, the filing deadlines have passed for almost all of them. And so now what you're talking about is if Joe Biden is going to be replaced, it's going to have to happen at the Democratic National Convention in August a- as a technical matter. And, you know, imagine what are the, what are they going to do? Um, you know, Kamala Harris is the vice president. I think there are many, if not most, Democrats who believe that would not be a significant improvement over Joe Biden. And so if you want to start looking for people outside of Kamala Harris, how do they pass over Kamala Harris? I know. And, and put someone else in. I think, you know, this is what happens. Look, this is what happens when people don't have the guts to do the right thing, Brian. And so, the right thing mm-hmm. was for Joe Biden not to seek reelection. I've said it over and over again publicly that he's passed his sell-by date. And that he needed to step aside voluntarily. He didn't do it. Um, and now the Democrats are in a very, very difficult political position. Do you think and, yeah. go do, ahead. do you think Donald Trump is the next president then? I don't know, because guess what else we don't know? We don't know what's going to be happening to Donald Trump between now and November. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Brian, after him losing the immunity appeal in the D.C. Circuit, And I do not believe the Supreme Court will take the case. Um, I don't think there's anything in that opinion that is controversial enough um, to make the Supreme Court have to take the case. I think it's a pretty cut-and-dry decision. And so that means Donald Trump's going to go on trial for the January 6th events um, this spring, probably in May. And we don't know, but I'll tell you this, um, it's going to be, as I predicted during the primary, a very ugly trial where it's going to be allies of Donald Trump who are testifying against him. Mark Meadows testifying against him. Members of his campaign team testifying against him. Um, And so what's going to happen when you have two such flawed candidates in Trump and Biden is flawed because of their age, Mm -hmm. flawed because of their personal conduct. There There are going to be more surprises between now and November. And I don't think any of us can predict What's going to happen between now and November? Uh, what would Reagan do uh, is the name of your book. How what would Reagan recognize? Would Re- Reagan recognize this type of conundrum that the, both political parties are in right now? He he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't understand why they were acting the way they're acting. Why they won't work with each other on anything, even something as important, universally important as as fixing our border situation. 
universally important um, as dealing with our debt, universally important um, as making sure that America remains the strongest power in the world. Ronald Reagan would not understand holding up aid to Ukraine. He wouldn't understand holding up aid to Israel. He wouldn't understand any of that. And I'll tell you what else he wouldn't understand. He wouldn't understand not standing up for the truth. You know, I write in the book, one of the chapters is about when Ronald Reagan stood up to the John Birch Society in the 1960s, uh, which was a very difficult, racially challenged and anti-Semitic group that had a lot of influence in the Republican Party in the mid-1960s. And the only two people who stood up Mm -hmm. were Ronald Reagan and William F. Buckley. And they did it together, and they changed the direction of our party, and as a result, changed the direction of the country. Ronald Reagan knew that standing up for what was right isn't always easy. But if you want to be a true patriot, it's what you need to do. All right, go uh, go to Amazon. Is it is it out now? It is. It was out this Tuesday. All right. So you can go out and get it. And I'll tell you this, Brian, it's, it's, it's a book that I think is written in a way that Brian Kilmeade would really like. Uh, there are Simple. life lessons in every one of these chapters. <laughs> right. Thank you. I love that stuff. Uh, Governor, we've got to have you on television, too. Governor Chris Christie, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Congratulations. What would Reagan do? Life lessons from the last great president. Appreciate it. Uh, Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Baer podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Baer favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Bottom of the hour, Julian Epstein. He served as chief counsel of the House Judiciary Committee and staff director of the House Oversight Committee for the Democrats, 96 to 2001. He's been laying it out, being very honest, less partisan. He obviously is hoping for Joe Biden to be successful. But his take on the documents that were released last night, the Robert Hur report, uh, I really got to get it. Because word is behind the scenes that Democrats are beginning to panic. They don't know how to get rid of Joe. They can't turn to Kamala. But if the polling starts showing them losing to Trump by 10, what do they do then? All right, Brian Kilmeade Show. Then we after that, one 866 We'll take your calls and much more in store. The more you listen, 
the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's uh, that's that's my memory. memory has gotten worse, Mr. No, president. My memory is not gotten. My memory is fine. Almost no one believes that. And what he said later in the press conference, mistaking the Egyptian president as a Mexican president, reinforced the worries even his biggest supporter has to have. Julian Epstein served as chief counsel for the House Judiciary Committee and staff director of the House Oversight Committee uh, for Democrats from 96 to 2001. Julian, welcome back. Uh, Can you put in perspective what we witnessed yesterday and the report that was released yesterday by Robert Herr? Yeah, Brian, good morning. Uh, Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, also in the introduction, uh, one could mention that I voted for Joe Biden. Um, uh, It was a bad day uh, for Biden yesterday. Special counsel um, uh, Robert Herr made clear that Biden had engaged in conduct that could be regarded as criminal, namely the removal of classified information, the placement of that classified information for years in unsecured locations in places like his garage, and then the sharing of that information related to that classified information with people, uh, reporters, biographers, uh, and so on. Um, uh, The section of the law that he is being investigated uh, under is the Espionage Act and subsection F, which would uh, create criminal liability if you if someone engage, engages in that conduct in a way that can be classified as grossly negligent. Right. And given that this information was very sensitive, involved issues like Afghanistan and very important foreign affairs matters, and was placed in his garage, uh, um, you have Hunter Biden who is looking to monetize. Um, the name of his father and his father's business as vice president and potentially maybe even earlier a senator, um, somebody could classify that as grossly negligent. Um, and so it's serious conduct. It's very, very serious conduct. And if the law is to mean anything, you have to ask yourself, um, you know, why, it, why would the president be getting a pass on that kind of conduct? Now, what Robert Herr, the special counsel, said was, I'm going to give Joe Biden a senior's mulligan on this, namely that the president is under diminished capacity. And we uh, don't think a jury would find him a uh, – uh, we think a jury might find him as sympathetic given that diminished capacity, and we think that would be a hard case to prosecute. That's an interesting theory about whether – Should it be in that report? Case or not I'm watching case. other channels, Julian. They say, well, that, that is a – that is a – somebody is putting their opinion – uh, ahead of the a legal document does not belong in that in that report. Do you believe it belonged in that report? Well, it's the argument that the left is making is it is a gratuitous slap at the president in an attempt to do him reputational damage. I think Robert Hur, the special counsel, would argue it was the reason why he declined to prosecute. And if it is the reason, it spells out in the Justice Department uh, regulations 
that a special counsel in making a recommendation to the attorney general as to whether or not to prosecute shall provide the reasons. If they decline to prosecute, the reason should be provided. So I, I think at best the left could argue it's a gray area, but um, I don't think they're going to get anywhere with that argument. Um, you know, I think what the president did last night in coming out and doing the press conference, which I think a lot of his staff said he had to do given how damaging uh, the uh, the part about the president's diminished capacity in the report was, was he sort of did himself a lot of harm. It was not a good night. And I think a lot of people looked at that press conference and said, you know, again, I'm saying this is somebody who voted for Biden and who's been a Democrat all his life. Right. I think a lot of people said the emperor's not wearing any clothes. Um, and, uh, you know, this is on people's minds. It's showing up in the polling. This is not the first time this issue has come up. It's come up through the entirety of uh, the of, of Mr. Biden's presidency, referring to the uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the dead, uh, the, the deceased congresswoman. Um, uh, the day, the other day, the, the mixing up of uh, of the French president Mitterrand, who had has passed, as everyone knows, in nineteen ninety six, where I assume what the president was talking about was Macron. Uh, I meant to say it was Macron. The and then he sort of comes out of the press conference and he speaking about the situation in Israel and he says, well, as I've been talking, I've been trying to encourage the president of Mexico when he meant Egypt. So, I think. It, he did himself a lot of harm and sort of just underscored the point uh, that most voters feel that um, he doesn't have the mental capacity to be uh, president in a second term. We should be very clear about this. This is not about age. There are plenty of I know, people who I know. are in their 80s who are at the top of their game. And you and I could, you know, you and I could probably list a dozen of them. Um, they're at the top of their game. Geraldo Rivera, one of your former colleagues, for example, I think he's 82. He's a, he's sharp as a tack. Uh, you may agree or disagree with him, but he's very sharp. And there's lots of there's lots of people in their 80s that are sharp. This is not about age. This so is can, about I, can I read you a quote from capacity. from the from the report? It says Mr. Biden's memory also appeared to have significant limitations, both at the time he spoke to his co-author. In 2017, as evidenced by the recorded conversations, and today, as evidenced by his recorded interview with our office, Biden recorded conversation with his co-author from 2017 are often painfully slow, with Biden struggling to remember events and straining at times to read and relay his own notes. In his interview with our office, Biden's memory was worse. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting the first day of the interview when his term ended. And forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began. He did not remember even within several years when his son Bo died. Wow. Well, let me tell you why it's relevant, again, to the criticism about the left is making that this shouldn't be in the report. I mean, one of the things the special counsel has to do is determine the president's state of mind. And was this was this activity, the removal of the classroom information and then the continued retention, did he have criminal intent? And if he if the president can't recall sort of just basic events, um, it's hard for the for the special counsel to make determinations about the president's state of mind. So that's the first point. The second point is, you know, is this just sort of Washington, you know, beltway chatter uh, that's not significant for any policy or to the national interest of the country? Um, or is this something that's more serious? You know, the first time. This really became very bothersome to me, Brian, was during the disastrous pullout of Afghanistan. 
which was catastrophic. And the president was asked if all of his senior military advisors agreed that there should be a complete pullout or whether, as I had advocated at the time, uh, we should leave a skeletal military force in Afghanistan of about 5,000 trainers, uh, people to particularly help with the Afghan Air Force. And the president said all of his senior military staff um, agreed that there should be a complete pullout. Well, when those senior military staff were asked to testify before Congress, they all testified quite the opposite. They said their views had been, and they had recommended to the president that they keep a, a skeletal force of about three to five thousand. And I think if that had done, you wouldn't have seen Afghanistan fall. I think they, of the, course, the, the government was, would have made, would have maintained. And, we, and no one and, even talks, Julian, about those three generals, including a secretary of defense, saying the president was wrong. We recommended, we told him this could happen. He said not right. one told me it could happen. So I'm thinking to himself, he's covering his butt. You're saying you think he might have just a mental lapse. Well, you don't know, but you uh, there was I mean, the, the, the mainstream media was 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 unbelievably irresponsible in not following up on that, because that has huge impl- implications for our national security and the situation in the Mideast uh, and near Asia. And so the fact that there is such a disconnect here between what the president believed and what the senior military officials were testifying has huge national security implications. And if the president isn't able to, you know, to take in that information and analyze it, as it seemed, because this was an interview that occurred a, a month after the pullout. That's the, the 25th Amendment. Julian Epstein, that, that's the 25th Amendment. If you have generals and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying, we tell the president he does not remember from conversation to conversation, and judging by this report in 2017, he was also not making much sense. You have a you have an ability. You had no problem turning on Trump, so on everything. And if you didn't do it publicly, you did it privately, and it leaked out in the Washington Post. But you have a guy here pulling out troops out of Afghanistan. He's forgetting your recommendations. You do it anyway. And it's the worst disaster ever. And the billions of equipment we leave behind is now being used in Gaza. So the the ripple effects are unbelievable. I want you to hear what he said yesterday about the latest hotspot. Cut uh, cut ten. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. First off, he just made major news. He now agrees with the Arab street that the response has been over the top, even though using Hamas figures to talk about the casualties. So that made news. Now let's listen did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard, really hard, to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza. There are a lot of innocent people who are starving, a lot of innocent people who are in So what, what we missed there is he came out, we ate through it, maybe we'll cue it up again, where he said, I called the Mexican president, al-Sisi. Instead of the Egyptian president, al-Sisi. Why right. would you be calling Mexico right. in the Middle East? Yeah, I mean, that is troublesome. And look, I'm not just trying to dump on him. I, as I said, I voted for him. But I find this stuff very disturbing. I mean, the most disturbing thing about the press conference to me was not ju- was not the mistake 
or the confusion over Mexico versus Egypt, which is very troubling. But the first clip that you played, which is claiming that Israel's response has been over the top. I mean, this is the kind of mixed messaging that is very, very damaging to, in my opinion, to our national security. Uh, It is the kind of mixed messaging we've seen on the Israeli matter since the beginning. And it is exactly the kind of thing that gives Hamas and the fascist Nazis um, yep. uh, that you have in the, I mean, they are as they, they, there is no difference between Hamas and the Nazis of Germany and Adolf Hitler. Just ask uh, the hostages. A, it, 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 it is, yeah, it is the same ideology. It is the same racist, um, you know, 11th century ideology that it's unbelievable to me that the left, many people on the left, uh, find uh, themselves in the same company with. But the, 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 the position of the United States has been that Hamas has got to be defeated in an unconditional and, and, and clear and resounding way, and they have to be purged from Gaza. And, and the president, not, our number one ally, just had no problem. No, our number just, one ally. Yeah. But, well, so if not, they will just reassemble and they will wait for the next October 7th. And if you don't believe me right. on that, listen to them. They have said it. So the position of the United States is that Hamas has got to be uncategorically defeated and purged. And so when the president says things like, well, the response has been over the top, and what does that mean? Because Hamas has not been defeated and Hamas has not been purged. Right. So I got you. What, I know. Just what, uh, real is, quick, what, I'm up against a break. Joey, I know. Yeah. I'm up against a break. Real quick. Uh, so if he if he's incompetent and can't continue, uh, who's going to tell him? And then what did the Democratic Party do? What do you think their options are since Kamala would probably do just as badly from the Democratic perspective as Biden? Well, this is the problem with groupthink and cowardice and being not being willing to say what is obvious. I mean, I think more Democrats should say the president shouldn't be running. I've been saying that for a year. There are plenty of other candidates out there. I don't think it's Gavin Newsom. Um, uh, I don't think he I think he is uh, would be a very weak candidate. But I think there are people like Josh Shapiro in uh, in in Pennsylvania, the governor of Pennsylvania, who is very strong. He's very centrist. He's been for things like school choice. Um, I think he's a guy who could have mass appeal. There are plenty of people on the bench, but it won't happen until people grow a set and say Mm -hmm. what needs to be said, which is that the obvious, which people all know, but they don't want to say it publicly or on camera on the Brian Kilmeade radio show. That is to say Joe's got to go. I don't think he should be running. My person, he should not be running for a second term. Julian Epstein, thanks so much. Yep, Brian, pleasure to be with you. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I know you have a lot to say. You've been listening to a lot. It's coming at you fast and furious. Plus, Super Bowl Sunday around the corner. Uh, don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan. Um, as I've said many times before this committee and other committees, I don't share my personal recommendations to the president, but I can tell you my personal opinion and my assessment if that's what you want. Yes, please. Um, yes, my assessment was... Uh, 
back in the fall of 20 and it remained consistent throughout that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500 and it could bounce up to 3,500 maybe something like that uh, in order to move toward a negotiated gated solution. Did you present, did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. So think about this. He says under he's got his hand in the Bible. He already destroyed Trump and was the secret source uh, for all these other uh, tell-all books behind the scenes about how crazy Trump is and called China to tell him we're not going to start a war with you. So Joe Biden comes in and just totally ignores his advice and then says, I never got that advice. Remember what Joe Biden said to George Stephanopoulos. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. That I can recall. So that's the point that Ari Fleischer made a couple of days ago. And I thought, well, let's kind of give him an out there that he just can't physically remember, mentally remember. But after reading this report, after hearing this spoken about and seeing him four times in the last five days, from Helmut Kohl, ridiculous statement, uh, to uh, Mitterrand's statement, to unable to remember the word Hamas, to yesterday confusing the Mexico president and the president of Egypt. Now, maybe the general made the recommendation he does it anyway. At which time, General Milley, put your hand up and do what you're going to do with Trump. 25th Amendment, baby. I, I don't want the biggest disaster in American history. Instead, blow up at Abbey Gate. People die. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, from 48th and 6th of Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, Brian Kilmeade, Joe. And by the way, if you ever want to uh, get the show anytime, if you have to leave your family of affiliates, you can get the podcast anywhere. You can also listen on the Fox News app. You go on, hit, hit listen or watch at the bottom. And you just scroll through Fox Business, Fox News, and they just hit Fox Radio, and you'll see the feed. It's it's really cool. Uh, Josh Crashow is standing by for the latest uh, s- uh, news from Washington, and there's a lot. Nate Boyer, a Bronze Star recipient who displayed uh, who fought in both Iraq and Afghanistan uh, with the with the U.S. Special Forces, and former Texas Longhorn and Seattle Seahawk, will be with us and talking about you know the the big game on Sunday. And Dean Phillips will be joining us. Uh, I got to get his take. He was one of the first Democrats to come out and go. Joe Biden can't do it anymore. I voted with him every day. I knew him as a candidate. I actually hosted a fundraiser for him. But this guy is shot. And that's what the report says. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It shows that deterrence can achieve results at decreasing illegal immigration. The only reason why it's not happening is because the president of the United States is not enforcing the laws that are already on the books. And that is uh, Governor Greg Abbott. The border's busted, cities overwhelmed, and there's no end in sight. As it becomes clear, Dems are just as angry as Republicans about what's happening in the South. We discuss the latest actions states are forced to take. 
Number two. I understand the states controlling state uh, elections and state positions. What we are talking about here are national candidates. <laughs> uh, I sense a shutout. The Supreme Court hearing of the Colorado Trump of the Colorado Trump ban from the ballot looks like it's about to implode and put all the rest of the state challenges to bed. I hope. Number one. Perception is reality, though, mm-hmm. when it comes to the voters. This year is an important year, and when he has these moments, and we were talking about this off-air, Tony, this is something that is glaring yeah. moving into this year. And to be holding a press conference about your mental acuity and to mix up Egypt and Mexico, Mexico is not even in the conversation. No exactly. questions about Mexico. It's not the topic of the press conference. Exactly. It's not a good look. CBS this morning talking about the president's presser yesterday, more than just a body blow, a better description would be a knockout punch to the head. That's how I describe the Robert Hur report detailing Joe Biden's inexcusable, careless way of handling classified material through his career. Criminal charges only withheld because he's too forgetful to show up and too sympathetic for a jury. Josh Crashauer has seen it all as a Fox News radio political analyst uh, in a veteran in Washington. He's also editor in chief of the Jewish Insider. Josh. Nobody really expected Robert Hur's report to, number one, I didn't know anyone who thought it was going to result in criminal charges, nor do I know anyone who said he's too, too, uh, his memory's too bad and he's too old to actually be anything but sympathetic to a jury. Were you as surprised as most? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the line I think we'll be talking about for much of this year on the political campaign trail is elderly man with a poor memory. Um, that That line is going to be etched – for, for, for a long time in, 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 the, in the political annals, and if Biden doesn't win re-election or if he continues to struggle or doesn't have a, vib- you know, a vigorous campaign schedule, uh, it's all going to be, be, be referenced to that, that line in the report. Uh, and, and look, last night – I've never seen anything quite like last night, uh, Brian. Uh, you had a flurry of, of headlines based on Robert Hur's line about the president failing to remember – uh, when he was vice president, his son's uh, the date his son passed away. A lot, lot of important dates. Um, that really was just there was a certain point where you just can't spin that away. And they brought the president out uh, to address the concerns, hoping he would show some show some anger as he did at one moment during that press conference, but also really showing every bit his age and mixing up the president of Egypt and uh, or, or saying that the president of Mexico was the president of Egypt. It was not a good look. It was. It only underscored the concerns that a lot of voters, a lot of Democrats, frankly, have about the president's uh, ability to run a full-fledged campaign, shows mental acuity on the campaign trail. And look, this is the big. This is the big problem uh, for, for for Democrats. If you look at the polls, uh, a lot of his weakness stems from a lot of voters, not just Republicans, but Democrats, independents, concerned that he's just not up for another four years in office. And that's the elephant in the room. And we saw that elephant loud and clear last night. All right, here's some of the exchanges, and the first one you'll recognize Peter Ducey's voice, but you'll be shocked to know the next one is CNN. Cut one. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. That's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. 
that's uh, that's that's my memory has gotten worse, Mr. President. My memory is not my memory is fine. For months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Many American people have been watching and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is your judgment. That is your judgment. That is not the judgment of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? What, what is your answer to that I'm the most question? qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. So that was CNN. Somebody at CNN executive said, go for it, because they haven't acted like that for three and a half years since Donald Trump left. That was every day with, with Trump. So what is your take? Go, go inside the between the lines on this. Well, look, I I think the M.O. from the White House's point of view was to show the president's anger. And he mentioned in in his his kind of uh, monologue that that he was angry that how dare uh, Robert Hurd talk about his son's passing and and him forgetting about that and how dare he suggest that he didn't know when his son died. Like he was, you know, and that may have been may have been the most effective in, in what was an embarrassing performance. But when he had to deal with questions from the press, and it was, you're right, it was everyone. It was, it was, it was CNN. It was every, NBC. Every network was was grilling him, and he just, you know, he was like, kind of. It's almost like uh, talking to like your your 85 year old grandfather when you're saying you can't drive anymore. I need to take away the keys, and just just showing a certain, you know, just un, unchecked, just just real, 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 real being really being upset and not really doing it in a focused or strategic way. Um, I don't think he'd help himself at all politically probably hurt himself because he's only underscoring the concerns that a lot of voters have about his age. And then, you know, he ended up mixing up the, the, the names of the – he was talking about Gaza and, and Middle East policy, and he ends up citing the president of Mexico somehow in, in the remarks later on in that, in that press conference. So, um, look, it was not, not a, good, a good night. I don't know what the White House could have done. They don't have – it's not about spin. I mean, I think a lot of people in the White House think that they can kind of spin this away or, or have a clever response or, or, or kind of a clever argument to kind of – uh, diminish the, the 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 factor that age is playing in this race. But look, the fact that that you you can't you don't you don't even have to put the president in front of tens of millions of viewers before the Super Bowl. I mean, in, in, in our fragmented media culture, Brian, there's there's rarely as good of an opportunity to get the president in front of a generally a friendly interview right before the Super Bowl to reset your agenda to get your message out there. But the fact that his own handlers no didn't want to do that shows how worried they are about his age and how he how he looks in front of the camera. And there's a few things. It could have been they, they knew the Herb report was coming out and they said we're that the whole question every question is going to be about that. It evidently was handed to them Monday. Or number two is they just don't want him in front of anybody because they'd rather use surrogates along the way and let Trump be the story when his trials kick in. But listen to Jeffrey Tubin. I know. I didn't think he was still on CNN either. Cut 15. Mexico? Mexico? Where did that come from? I mean, that's the only thing anyone's going to remember from this. I, you know, he was exonerated here. And, and I think it's an easy call that he was exonerated. And I think legally he's never had a problem with this because the issue of criminal intent was quite clearly absent in the Biden case and certainly <laughs> according to the accusations in the um, in, in the Jack Smith indictment is very much present in the in the Trump case. I think they are very different. And so, the so a couple of things. I, I mean, obviously, not many people are paying for Jeffrey Tubin's insights, but obviously he comes back to the microphone and he says the president of Mexico is Al Sisi in a time in which the whole world's watching what's happening in Gaza. He can't even talk about the countries in the region. Number two is he's totally wrong. 
I mean, for 40 years, Joe Biden was haphazardly. They went through 7 million documents. They found things back in 20, 2009, 2017. He took these documents to help write his book. He haphazardly threw them all over his house, through the Penn Center, through his garage and his attic. I mean, one of these, what, listen, you know, you've seen the pictures. Investigators found documents in his home in a box in a garage near a collapsed dog crate, a dog bed, a Zappos box, an empty bucket, a broken lamp wrapped with duct tape, potting soil, and synthetic firewood. This guy couldn't care less about, uh, about, uh, about classified documents, but he blames his staff. Yeah, Brian. You know, if it wasn't, if the age factor was not an issue, you would still have a, this. In, under normal circumstances, would be a scandal about the president misrepresenting yeah. what was in the report. I mean, he 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 does. He's not facing legal penalty, but he was clearly not exonerated, even though he said he was, and he clearly contradicted the substance of what what the report actually said. So, if this was like a normal, you know, uh, political cycle where age was not the fact, not not the driving issue, that would be the story we'd all be talking about. The president is lying and not not being accurate about what what. What the special counsel actually said. Um, yes, it's good news. I mean, not being indicted, good news. Like that, that that's certainly uh, a relief uh, for, for for the president. Um, but this was a damning report, not just because of the remarks about his age and the interviews he did in the, con- in the context of answering the special counsel's questions, but it was also really, really damning in how sloppy he handled these um, these documents. And, and frankly, the reason he wasn't uh, the pro- you know wasn't charged is is, is because of, of his age, because they they wondered right. whether he was really fully so Josh so, really knew that would be able to be a sympathetic uh, witness if it came to a trial. All right, so Josh, where does he go? What happens from here? Well, look, the, the time to make any change, I mean, if, if you talk about the politics and, and what happens with the, I mean, look, I, I, I talked to a lot of folks at the White House during during the press conference last night, and they're spinning this as, as much as they, they they're, they're all on message. They they thought this was great. This was showing a vibrant, rigorous president on stage. So I, I don't see them changing course unless the president really? himself, I, I do not see um, at least not anytime soon, any any change of course. They are they are sticking to their script. They are on message, and I think it's because of the president. The president is – you saw him last night, Brian. He, he was insistent that he is full steam ahead with it, with this reelection, and I think it's going to be very hard to convince – look, they don't have any other good options, right? I mean we see polls show the vice president has even worse uh, approval ratings, lower, lower approval, higher disapproval than, than the president. And you know we're at the point in the in the cycle that you just really can't do do much else. So I, I think they're kind of stuck with the situation that they kind of made, made for themselves. The time to make any changes on the ticket, replace the vice president, do do those things would have been when we were talking about this last year. This shouldn't have been a secret that you know the president was going to be 82 years old uh, in, in the reelection year. Um, but they kind of punted, kicked that can down the road, avoided the questions, wanted to. You know, avoid dealing with the inevitable, and now they're really, really dealing with it in, in, in a very tough way. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. I just don't think that he could possibly run. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think, he, I don't know how he backs out. And it was been brought up to me the way to do it is, you know, when Nixon, when they have to have Nixon back out. I remember reading about Barry Gold in Barry Goldwater's book, going into Nixon as a staunch Republican, big conservative, and saying, "Listen, you're done. You've lost, you've lost support. You're going to have to resign, or you're going to get impeached. You don't have the votes." And he left. Who could have that conversation with Joe Biden? Yeah, very few people. Um, I don't. I mean, this, this is a very staff-driven White House, and uh, look, I think a lot of 
from a pure realpolitik point of view, a lot of the cabinet secretaries, the top officials have a lot of power in, in the setup where Biden does delegate quite a bit and his hours are, are limited, as we, we know from the reporting out there. So, you know, I don't think there's anyone other than Jill Biden. I think, I think his wife would probably be the person who would get in that close counsel. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a scenario. If Barack Obama goes on television and says, I'm concerned that, you know, I'm reading that report, talking to Joe, I'm concerned uh, that he can't do the job anymore. Yeah, that would that that would just totally. I mean, the reason that there aren't any good options is, is if that happened, that would just blow apart the Democratic Party. It would probably mean Kamala Harris, a wounded Kamala Harris, would be, you know, the the heir apparent. And I don't think the Democratic Party and, and, and their reelection or their election chances would be any better in that scenario. So they're they're, they're it's a it's a no win situation no matter what plays out. Um, I think they're. I, I do still think that Biden is is, is more likely than not going to be on the ballot in November. Yeah. Uh, also, this is the Joe Biden who, uh, you know, mental capacity alone, just the judgment of using pseudonyms on emails, of taking classified documents home, writing in the margins. Do you know some of the documents he took home have human intelligence on them of, of, of locations of our agents in Pakistan and Afghanistan? I mean, are we just supposed to say that's a terrible staff you've had for 40 years? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, this is this is I I I've, I I just think that there I feel like this is a turning point on the whole thing, and I think Trump being measured is probably his best thing. Let Joe Biden be the story. Don't give him an out. Don't say anything crazy. Yeah, and and, and Trump did respond, and he said this is about a two. He actually yeah. instead of letting the the complaint sit for itself, he said this is a two tiered system of justice, and really put himself in the story. But look, the. the a picture's worth a, a thousand words. Anyone who watched the the press conference or even saw video clips of of, of last night, and they're going to draw the same conclusion that the special counsel did in terms of uh, his age and his you know showing every bit of it uh, in, in person. Game on! If those polls show Trump up by ten, we'll see. Uh, and uh, real quick on the on the Gaza situation, the president coming out and saying, "But I guess you know that I believe that Israel's been over the top." In in Gaza, that is a damaging statement. Yeah, it, it it comes the same day that the president sent a bunch of officials to Dearborn, Michigan, which the Wall Street Journal called the in a famous editorial last weekend uh, the jihad capital of the of the country, uh, and then they tried to appease and pander to to an anti-Israel group who, of people who um, are very very upset with what's going on in terms of Israel's fight against Hamas. Look, you've already I mean, the notion that you can kind of triangulate or kind of you know pander to a very radical or very left wing group uh, and, and and benefit from that politically it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, the, I think the smart political strategy is to do what you've been doing all along, yes. which is support Israel and let them take finish get get Hamas's leadership and end the war. Josh, uh, otherwise, yeah, it, it's going to be a mess. Absolutely, Josh Krasher, thanks so much, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, to just uh, our best ally, uh, we just threw him out in the street. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A grand jury has returned an indictment on seven individuals for their roles in assault on two police officers in Times Square on January 27th. Uh, this assault... Uh, as it did to many of you, sickened me 
uh, and outraged me. We all rely uh, on, on members of the NYPD every day, as I said, uh, to keep us safe and to keep this the safest big city in America. Uh, as a lifelong New Yorker, I do not tolerate attacks on our police officers, uh, and certainly I do not uh, as Manhattan district attorney. So let me be clear, plain and simple, the behavior depicted, many of you have seen. All right, uh, I don't, but that is Alvin Bragg, boring you to death, and also insincerely saying he's outraged. If he was sincerely, sincerely outraged, why did he let his minions, his department, let two of those assailants, and now there's up to seven, beat up those cops uh, on full view, multiple angles, and let go ahead, bring them in, and then let them go. Now you have a grand jury that says, let's indict him. In Nassau County, they had a different approach. They had an anti-Semitic attack, someone ripping off an Israeli flag. The illegal immigrant, still in jail, $50,000 bail. Same state, different philosophy because a different ideology. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I think the most important thing was that he's playing against Patrick Mahomes. And last week after the game, Pat, uh, Brock Purdy said, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the fastest, I'm not the strongest. And so, like, I told him, lean into that. Your superpower is processing. Do not get caught into watching some Superman across the field do something that you is not your game. Don't be drawn into a game that's not yours. Play your game, right? It's an efficiency game. It's getting the ball in and out, out of the huddle. Call the play. Let Kyle call his cool play, and then you go run it. Get to one of these great players in space, and then put the pressure on that defense continuously as they try to come up with concoct ways to cause you some grief. So, to me, Brock Purdy, just be who you are. Use your superpower processing. Do not watch Patrick Mahomes. Even look down. Like just look away. Do not watch anything he does. <laughs> Yeah, how great is that? Steve Young's fantastic advice. Uh, not only was a great quarterback, started the USFL uh, with the L.A. team, Express, if I remember correctly. And then uh, he goes over to San, uh, goes over to Tampa, uh, gets killed. There's a backup for years because he had no offense line. Then he goes a backup for years for Montana and then has a fantastic Hall of Fame career with San Francisco. And he knows what it's like in the big game because he's, he's actually won one and he's been there and watched Joe Montana do it. Talking about Brock Purdy, one of the great stories in sports, any sport, by the way, when you are the last player taken and you end up being so good. Nate Boyer is a uh, Bronze Star recipient. He also uh, played for the Seahawks and uh, played in Texas. Uh, he also fought in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He does not mind physical contact. Uh, and analysis, and also bleeds red, white, and blue. Nate Boyer, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, brother. Hey, uh, for, so for, first off, I got to ask you, just what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Well, I grew up uh, in the East Bay, so I grew up a you know a Steve Young fan and a Phil Montana fan, and and Ronnie Lott and Jerry Rice and Roger Craig, all those legends. So, I mean, what I think is going to happen is. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to give us hell uh, for the entire game, but somehow, some way, it's our time. The Niners are going to win. So Niners are going to win. Here, here's what yeah. uh, here's what uh, Joe Montana said. Cut fifty two. I'm not sure what they're talking about. The guy's playing playing pretty good football. Everybody's you know still doubting him, and I I just think that he is understands this offense. He understands the people around him. And the things he, he he doesn't force balls, he doesn't have to. But I, you can always tell when a guy is comfortable in an offense when 
he's playing like Brock's playing. And the one thing I always say, that don't second-guess him, second-guess the draft. <laughs> I mean, this, this, he's proof, Brady's proof. They haven't figured out what the draft, how to draft, right? What's important, what isn't important, because you just don't know who's going to make that transition. You know, case in point, you got Zach Taylor with the, and seems like a nice guy, uh, with the Jets, and he's just... He's just gotten so many chances, and he just can't do the job. Brock Purdy gets one chance in the most, they say, the most complex offense in the NFL, and he shines. How do you explain that? I I can't explain that. I mean, honestly, obviously Joe Montana and Steve Young are subject matter experts when it comes to throwing that pigskin. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's just look at the age of these guys, too, because the same thing happens from high school to college. Like, I – you know, you look at the four-star and five-star recruits, and you know, probably more often than not, people are generally generally right. Uh, but at the same time, like there's there's these stories of of, of guys that walked on. Baker Mayfield's one of them. You know, he walked on at, at Texas Tech, and and then had to walk on again in Oklahoma when he transferred. He wasn't given a scholarship right away, and then he wins a Heisman Trophy. And uh, I don't. It's just something about certain right. people. In those, I think in those pressure situations, as the stage gets bigger, they just play bigger, and you don't know until you're there. You know, you can't know until they have that opportunity, and then vice versa. You know, uh, I mean, people people do the exact opposite too. It's like they can have all the stats, all the numbers, all the right. measurables, and you don't know until there's a hundred and two thousand people in the stands, and it's like the game's on the line. Are they going to have that precision? Uh, or is it going to just affect them that much and, and, and they're just not going to play it at the same level? So, Nate, it wasn't too long ago when you're, you're meeting with Kaepernick. We're talking about what, is it okay to take a knee before a game? Uh, what was that like for you, and, and wh- where do you think the game is at now in the country? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I mean, that was definitely a, a very interesting, <laughs> volatile time. I mean, from where I, you know, from where I stood, like, Look, I, 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 when I played, I played in one NFL game with Seattle, uh, and in college, you know, I played all these years at Texas. And you're not in the locker, you're in the locker room when the anthem's playing. You're not out on the field uh, when that's happening. So I wasn't really, I didn't really have that opportunity. And then the one game I played in Seattle, I was on the sideline when the anthem played, and I, I cried because it was a really emotional time for me. And I thought about my, my, you know, my best friend who'd passed away a few years prior, um, and I just was. You know, I was proud to have that chance, and to uh, you know, to to me, those symbols uh, are very special because of my ten years in the military. Uh, but at the same time, like you know, Colin Colin Kaepernick had different experience and different story, and you know, I do, I will say that what I what I fought for, what we all fought for, is the right um, to to protest, is the right, is the First Amendment right to express uh, your opinions in that way. Uh, but at the same time, like it, it also was it was hard for. Yeah. You know, a lot of people to see and to feel. So, like, it's just one of those things. Like, you know, you know, what you know, and your experiences sort of shape your beliefs and and opinions and all that. Um, and when we did meet and we did have a conversation, uh, you know, it was a good conversation. It was positive and it was respectful and all that. And he had a lot of respect for the military, you know. So I do want to note that. Like, there's a lot of people that don't that didn't see that side of things. Uh, but at the same time, like, there's I think there's a lot of there's just so many other factors into into something like that, and, and especially around that time. Right. But the, you just think fundamentally, and and you live in this, like you got to agree you love the country, and then just then to talk about how to make it better, rather than think the country is not living up to your standards. So I'm thinking to myself, 
you know, travel. If if you if you if the country's not living up to your standards, try another, travel, and if you see someone better, stay. If not, come back and make it better. Taking a knee never made it better for me, but I don't want to bring up that conversation with you. Uh, Nate, you're doing a great thing. Merging vets and players. MVP was founded in 2015 by Jay Glazer and you, uh, one of the great guys you'll ever meet in sports and out of sports. Tell me about it and tell me why it works. Yeah, so we bring together at MVP, we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes. And we just, we help them find purpose and identity when the uniform comes off. And, you know, a lot of people, including myself, when you first think think about like, well, combat vets and, and pro athletes, like they don't have a lot in common. I mean, you know, what they're doing, playing sports and, and, uh, and going to war are very different things, the battlefield and the ball field, are very different places. But at the same time, like there is a lot of similarities in the structure, in the identity with the uniform, in the camaraderie, uh, and the loss of those things when you get cut, you know, when sports is over. And, and also, like, vets and athletes, by and large, they kind of look up to each other. There's that mutual respect. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when I was deployed, I remember watching football games to, to kind of help me escape. You know what I mean? It was something that was just inspiring to me to watch. And, you know, and hear stories of people like Pat Tillman, you know, that, that gave that all up to join the military. Like, there's just there's a lot of uh, inspiration kind of drawn from both those groups. And you're pretty young when it ends. So that's what we're doing. We're just kind of bringing that, those groups uh, together. And we're helping one another, you know, push to the next level again and find that greatness once again and feeling like, you know, your greatest moment wasn't uh, in the past. It's, it's ahead of you. And you can still do a lot of, uh, of great things. And, you know, we need good leaders in our country. And I think vets and athletes, um, you know, they have that platform. They have people that do respect them and look up to them. And they have the potential to kind of dig us out of some of these dark times. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So the MVB Gala uh, at the Star in Dallas, it'll be on April 13th. You can go get tickets at vetsandplayers.org slash MVP-Gala-2024. So just look at MVP Gala the Star, and it'll get to it, and uh, order tickets and be part of it, right? Absolutely, yeah. Right. Yeah, we, yeah. Our second annual gala at the – so at, at the Star, for people that don't know, that's Cowboys headquarters. Uh, and they've been a really good partner of ours, which is great. Right. Um, so, win, yeah. It's a so, win-win. Go to Vets and Players. Yeah, go to vetsandplayers.org or look up. Emerging vets and players and uh, gala, and and you'll be able to find tickets. And we'd love to we'd love to have you out there. We'd love to have mm-hmm. uh, you know more support from uh, companies, organizations, individuals around the country. Nate Boyer, uh, thanks so much, Brian Star recipient. Appreciate all you do. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brian. You got it. Uh, back to politics in a moment. The man that's been saying that uh, Joe Biden's shots at it should not be running for president is Dean Phillips. He joins us next in light of this Robert Hur report, which we've been examining, and it is not good for the president. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In fact, I was so determined to give the special counsel what he needed, I went forward with a five-hour in-person, five-hour in-person interview over two days on October the 8th and 9th of last year, even though Israel had just been attacked by Hamas on the 7th, and I was very occupied. It was in the middle of handling an international crisis. So that is President Biden. Another, by the way, an underreported thing. What a terrible uh, judgment. October 7th happens. The most massacre, the, the worst massacre that happened to the Jewish people since the Holocaust. And he's not blowing off Robert Hur's meeting to focus on trying to maintain some type of world peace. 
or do best they can to support our key ally. Uh, joining us now is Dean Phillips, Congressman from Minnesota, running for President of the United States. Congressman, your take on the president's uh, on the on the Robert Hur report. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, good to be with you. I I, I hope, like most Americans, I, it's sad uh, to see now a former president who is in front of the Supreme Court and facing indictments, and now a current president who clearly mishandled uh, classified documents. And to read the report, as anybody can, and I hope you do, it basically says that he likely committed a crime, but they didn't want to prosecute him because he's a well-meaning elderly man with a fading memory. And reading that as an American is awfully tough uh, for reasons I hope everybody can understand. So I think it's a sad day for America. It's just another reason why I think President Biden should serve out his term and then pass the torch uh, to a new generation of leaders. And I think that's why 70 percent of the country, Brian, is saying the same thing. But now they have to listen to you, Congressman. You've been saying that. You say, I vote with him. I had a fundraiser for him. But this is not the same guy. Yeah. Well, he's a good, Brian, he's a good man. People can differ, of course, have different perspectives on policy. But what really troubles me is that there's a culture in Washington of silence, uh, ignorance, and people so focused on protecting their next reelection uh, that they don't tell Americans the truth. And it's not unique to one side or the other, but I just happen to be the only one saying the quiet part out loud. Yet, Rest assured, has anything changed, Congressman? Congressman, has anything changed since this came out? Sure. I've had to, you can, my phone is blown up with messages from colleagues, uh, surely on both sides of the aisle, but yes, Democratic colleagues who all know better. Uh, I won't name them, of course, but yes, of course, Brian, because anybody who has their eyes open uh, can see what's going on. And it's, I think it's a shame. I think it's embarrassing. And I think it's sad. And I think it's a, a shame for a president who could cement a legacy, uh, pass the torch, and do what's best for the country. It's not just about him, and that's the problem in our country right now. Uh, we have cults of personalities around individuals instead of around principles. And I'm trying to encourage center-right and center-left Americans, Brian, to join together the exhausted majority and get our act together because uh, we are increasingly looking like a laughingstock around the world, and uh, I won't have that. Senator Marco Rubio says, um, uh, said on social media that the special counsel decided not to bring charges against Biden because they believe he has age-related dementia. Is he wrong in making that conclusion? Well, you know, Brian, neither you nor I are a physician, and uh, if we were, we'd never attended to him, so I can't opine on that. But we all see with our own eyes his speeches and uh, the decline. He's an 81-year-old man, uh, remembering that he would be serving until January of 2029. Amazing. Uh, if he was reelected, and by the way, you know, you know how I feel about former President Trump, too. I think both men are at a stage in life where neither should be serving in the presidency. Right. I think it's just as simple as that. And I know most Americans feel the same. What I'm troubled by is a political system, a duopoly, Brian, right. that is in, in increasingly only elevating people who are not well appreciated well, nationally. And but if Donald Trump was 50 years voting. old, but if Donald Trump was 50 years old, you also didn't think he should be president, right? Well, we have a very, I, I will say that I have a very <laughs> uh, unique, not, I shouldn't say unique. I have a very clear perspective on his character and I think character matters. Um, I have a great affection for a lot of Republican principles, uh, progressive principles. That's not the issue. The issue is people and principle and 
Unfortunately, what I've seen is quite devoid, but uh, that's my opinion. I know shared by many, but I'm not here to litigate that. Here's an anonymous quote from a Democratic House member. It is a nightmare. It weakens President Biden electorally. And Donald Trump would be a disaster and an authoritarian. For Democrats, we are in a grim situation. What I've noticed is the press is coming from CNN. It's coming from CBS. So I'm wondering, do you expect more people to speak out? And maybe if not join you, jump in themselves. Well, Brian, you know, I, I did watch some of MSNBC's coverage last night, and not surprisingly, it was all focused on a political hit job, uh, not the merits of the case, oh, not what is in front, not what's in front of people's eyes. And frankly, uh, when millions of people get their news from a single source, uh, that determines um, what people are seeing. So I hope the answer is yes. Uh, if people don't wake up soon, we're going to have a real, real problem, and there is still time. So. Right. Everybody knows this, Brian. This is this is like uh, you know those Air Force pilots that occasionally cite things in the sky that they can't explain, and these are esteemed good people who know what they're doing. And the minute they say they saw something unusual, uh, the country thinks, uh, "Are you a little off?" Well, that's how it's felt like for me for a long time, uh, seeing something right. so clear, so obvious, uh, surrounded by people who simply want to ignore the truth. And I think we got to fits that fast because that's right. a dangerous, dangerous disease. So here's what C- this is what CBS had running. This is what they thought about Biden's presser when he named mm-hmm. LCC the president yeah. of Mexico. Uh, cut 16. Perception is reality, though, yes. mm-hmm. when it comes to the voters. Yeah. This year is an important year. And when he has these moments, and we were talking about this off air, Tony, I mean, this is this is something that is glaring yeah. moving into this year. And to be holding a press conference about your mental acuity and to mix up Egypt and Mexico, Mexico is not even in the conversation. No exactly. questions about Mexico. It's not the topic of the press conference. Exactly. It's not a good look. No, and it was all about the, border, the southern border of Gaza, so he went to Mexico. Yeah. Who among us hasn't screwed up those two countries before? But we're not president. Yeah. And, that's, and that's the real concern that they have at the White House that they're going to have to so Oh, please. Southern border of Gaza. Yeah. I always think Mexico. So, I mean, that's a little bit what's going on. But bottom line is, if the polls show Trump up by 10, does something Mm -hmm. change, Dean Phillips? Well, I've been arguing, Brian, for many months now. Just all you have to do is look at numbers. You know, look at look at approval numbers, the lowest in presidential history. President Biden is 20 points below Jimmy Carter in January of 1980. He's five points below former President Trump at the same stage. Every poll shows him losing in battlegrounds. I, I come from the business world, Brian, but I cannot imagine that politicians eventually uh, don't open their eyes to the truth based on the data. Um, it's only going to get worse. I don't think yesterday is going to improve the president's standing. So if Democrats want to win, there's clearly a path. And if Democrats favor losing, uh, it looks like that's the path that's been chosen so far. But I intend to rectify that as much as I possibly can. How long are you staying in the race? I'm going to stay, Brian, it is, it is an imperative to stay in the race to the convention. There is no other Democratic uh, candidate running in the primary right now. And as evidenced by yesterday and the past number of days, I think it's important that the United States of America mm-hmm. has a 55-year-old, well-meaning uh, candidate with a good memory in the race as well right. as President Biden. And it's good to know that quality people have had all the success you've had in your life want to still give back to the country. Uh, and as a Democrat, uh, you are now the alternative to Joe Biden. And it looks like the Democrats need an alternative. Congressman Dean Phillips, thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Brian. Have a great day. You got it. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Keep it here. From the Fox 
News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Final hour of the week here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you are there. Uh, Shannon Bream is standing by. Uh, not only does she do a great job on Fox News Sunday, she also handles everything legally and stood on the steps of the Supreme Court yesterday for the fascinating oral arguments that we were able to hear. But believe it or not, people were able to see them if they got inside. Marshall Falk, one of the NFL's greatest running backs, is in Las Vegas. He's going to be joining us to break down the Super Bowl, according to reports, 48 hours away. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It shows that deterrence can achieve results at decreasing illegal immigration. The only reason why it's not happening is because the president of the United States is not enforcing the laws that are already on the books. True. Uh, And you've done everything to secure your state, Governor Greg Abbott. Border busted, cities overwhelmed, and there's no end in sight. It's become clear Dems are just as angry as Republicans, but not enough to do anything about it. We discussed the latest actions states like Texas are taking. Number two. I understand the states controlling state uh, elections and state positions. What we are talking about here are national candidates. Yes, uh, that is Chief Justice Clarence Thomas. Since a shutout, the Supreme Court... Hearing on this uh, on Colorado's uh, ability to actually kick Trump off the ballot like they've done is very much in jeopardy. I believe this will be nine zero. Number one. Perception is reality, though, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the voters. This year is an important year. And when he has these moments and we were talking about this off air, Tony, this is something that is glaring moving into this year. And to be holding a press conference about your mental acuity and to mix up Egypt and Mexico, Mexico is not even in the conversation. No questions about Mexico. It's not the topic of the press conference. It's not a good look. Yeah, CBS just discovering that maybe the president's lost a step. You think more than just a body blow better described what happened yesterday, a knockout punch to the head for President Biden. That's how I describe Robert Hur's report. What about you? Not only does it say the president's diminished, but he was inexcusably careless with his handling of classified documents over the course of decades. Criminal charges are withheld because he's too old and forgetful to show. Really? How's he going to be president? How is he president? These are some questions that I'm not sure Shannon Bream has went to school to answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. During class, what college did you go to, Liberty? I went to Liberty undergrad in Florida State Law School. Did they ever ask you how would you like uh, tell us what if the president is cognizant, able, cognizantly able to do, cognitively able to do the job? Have they ever gave you a class on that? Did you ever take I that as an elective? I do not recall studying that. I do not. What do you think we're in the middle of? What, what is How unique is Robert Hur's uh, uh, report to you? You know what? Yesterday, even before we got the her report, I was talking to another reporter over at the Supreme Court, and we're like, Washington's just a circus. Like, we're all just playing in it. We're all part animals and, and sideshow acts and everything else because it's just gotten crazy here. Then we got the her report, and we're like, wow, okay, the day has gotten even crazier. I mean, it's one of those things that obviously is good for the White House and that there's no criminal liability, but, man, it pours gasoline onto that fire that all the polling shows, including majority of Democrats, don't think that President Biden is mentally strong strong enough to do this for another four years. That's his own party. Yeah, here's Chuck Rosenberg on MSNBC. He was trying to break this down for some disbelieving hosts. Cut 19. Under the special counsel regulations, her, the special counsel, has an obligation. He shall write a report. 
he must write a report. If you're writing a report to the Attorney General of the United States and you're recommending that someone not be prosecuted, which I think is the right recommendation, then you would tell the Attorney General why you think that person ought not be prosecuted. If Rob Herr's assessment was that Mr. Biden was sympathetic or that he had a faulty memory, that is absolutely something you would tell the Attorney General in a confidential report. When the report goes from her to the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, it is a confidential report. Then it is up to Merrick Garland whether or not to release it, in part or in whole. I think this is a flaw in the special counsel regulations. When I was a prosecutor, if I decided a case was not meritorious, I would close it, the end. I wouldn't talk about it. I would close it. But as a special counsel, you can't do that. You must write the report. So it doesn't make sense to me, Willie, that if I'm telling the attorney general of the United States why someone ought not be prosecuted, that I wouldn't also tell him exactly why I came to that conclusion. Right. Uh, so your thoughts about him putting it in there? I mean, if he just well, closed the case and say no criminal behavior, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have worked for anybody. Right. And especially if you did identify that there was some mishandling of documents, then you do have an obligation to explain why you're not going to prosecute what you found was mishandling of classified documents. But, you know, the critics do say he went too far. This feels punitive. You know, Paul Krugman's got a piece out. He calls it disgusting. He says it was snide, unwarranted, and obviously politically motivated and full of slurs. (laughs) So, um, you know, I I have a feeling Paul Krugman wouldn't feel the same way if it was written around President Trump with the same words. But – well, this is Washington. Right. But if you look at the president, I mean, this didn't come out of left field. I mean, listen to the president just this uh, over the last two weeks. Cut 12. Right, right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. And it was in, it was in the south of England. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, Said, okay, it's just too painful. You know, uh, then he came, evidently, and t- twice he said Helmut Kohl is the mm-hmm. one he told that to. And it was uh, Merkel. They don't look anything alike. And I've done a side-by-side of it staring at it all morning. <laughs> and then, of course, there was this two weeks ago, Cut 13. By the way, used to make beer brew here. <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer. <laughs> oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. <laughs> Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. Well, yeah. And then last night he has that presser, which I think is designed to go on the attack after the Robert Hur thing, yells at reporters and messes up two more foreign leaders. So not a great week for the president. But we're stuck in this. He's supposed to be our leader. And then you wonder, you know, we played this back to back. You know, uh, I want you to hear General Milley. This is General Milley testifying about the biggest debacle in my lifetime in Afghanistan. Listen to this. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Um, As I've said many times before this committee and other committees, I don't share my personal recommendations to the president, but I can tell you my personal opinion and my assessment if that's what you want. Yes, please. Um, Yes, my assessment was uh, back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout, that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that. Okay. uh, So that was his recommendation. So listen to George Stephanopoulos. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, That wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? 
No, not at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you no. We should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. So, either and at first I thought typical politician. He's trying to cover himself up and, and throw someone under the bus. The fact is, maybe he doesn't even recall. Insists on it. Nobody stands up and speaks up, and people are dead. And we're eighty billion dollars is all around the world of military equipment. I mean, think we might have already paid the price for his d- diminished capacity. Well, and that's the thing. And as her report, it's not just talking about you know the fact that he couldn't remember things when they talked to him in December or excuse me October of 2023 but they hearken back to his interviews which there is some recording of interviews with his ghostwriter for a book back in 2017 they said even then he sounded confused and was you know unable to recall certain things or mixing certain things up so there are a lot of pieces to this puzzle and again when you poll people and they from his own party have serious concerns people see what's going on and i thought it was very interesting last night that when he decided Decided to do this presser. Of course, Peter Ducey, excellent job as always, jumps right in with the questions. But man, he has a lot of competition because suddenly now it feels like everybody else is awake to this problem that has been there right in front of their faces this whole time. But man, that press corps was aggressive last night, and it's as if they finally realized this is an issue. So, so where do they go from here? I mean, they they turn down the Super Bowl interview. He has no plans mm-hmm. to do any sit downs. He's already showed in unscripted situations. It only makes things worse. He's got eight and a half months to prove he deserves four more years, which we're finding out nobody thinks he does deserve. Seventy five percent of the country are concerned about his age and his ability to lead, including over 50, about 50 percent of Democrats. So mm-hmm. what happens next, Shannon? Well, listen, they've got to decide how they're going to manage this and him being out there because, again, you point out the, the Super Bowl, second year in a row that he said he wouldn't sit down for that. You're running for reelection. That is tens of millions of eyeballs that you could get who are going to listen to whatever message you have. Are they so worried that he can't manage? Those are pre-taped interviews that they can't manage that long enough for him to get through that and to have such a huge audience. The amount of free publicity you would get for anything connected to the Super Bowl is hard to quantify. In an election year, it's just stunning. So they're not going to be able to run this like 2020 when we had the very real concerns and fears and worries and dangers about COVID. He's going to have to be out there. And when he has, you know, these campaign stops that um, there have been a lot of protesters there. He's walking around drinking smoothies versus the optics of President Trump bringing in, you know, tens of thousands of people in some, you know, arenas and and gatherings. It's pretty stark. And so the White House is going to have to figure out how in the world that they manage those optics. It's more than optics. I don't know if he can do it. I think there's going to be serious conversations about whether he continues I think they have to. I mean, you got to. Well, this, I think this, that's why yeah. Gavin Newsom's been running a shadow campaign. Maybe, but he's he's a flawed candidate too. I think Kamala Harris is the problem with her at the top of the ticket. I think the she actually has Democrats have less of a chance of winning. I mean, her her approval numbers are worse than the president's, so that is a very big calculation for them. Um, but listen, the president doesn't seem like he's willing to go anywhere. He was very angry last night. He did not appreciate. Yeah. You know, the, the very pointed questions that were basically quotes from the Her Report. Well, um, I was angry, too, because I had to change the restructure of One Nation Saturday at 9 o'clock. And no one, you know, and no one really I mean, questioned. come on. You don't want to mess with perfection. Right. But I had to have to change your A block. <laughs> I thought <laughs> it'd be. Sometimes some, you have to. Yes. So what are you doing? 
Right now? Nope. Uh, Fox News. <laughs> well, we're going to have uh, Senator Tom Cotton with us to talk about, you know, all of the mess here. It looks like Senate may be working this weekend because they never did you know, pass that border deal. But they're still trying to pass money for Ukraine and Israel. Israel looking like they're beefing up their ground invasion uh, in Gaza. And there are a couple of other things we're waiting to lock in. Um, I don't want to use, you know, President Biden's language when he was VP, but they're a big deal. I hear you. Uh, we are having John Harbaugh on who had the best yes. team in the regular season, but not the mm-hmm. uh, Super Bowl. He's going to be talking about him and his brother uh, back in the NFL together. Uh, mm-hmm. I am going to also have Dana Perino and Tulsi Gabbard to break this whole thing down for us. Love so, it. And then we'll do, a, we'll do a Super Bowl-themed news duel with Tommy Lahren. But what about, uh, Shannon, your thoughts about the biggest story during my show yesterday, and that is the Supreme Court and what you, what you gleaned from that? I was encouraged. I'm hearing these clips. And seeing people just going for the answer and going to the Constitution, not worried about party. Were you surprised if we seem on track to maybe a 9-0 ruling? Listen, 9-0 would be a slight, slight surprise for me because Justice Sotomayor was still pretty critical. Um, you know, and I, it seems like she does not think Colorado did a terrible thing the way that they did it. So we'll see. I think the chief is going to want to write something that's narrow enough that you do get nine votes because I think he wants to speak with one voice on this thing. But um, I wasn't surprised yesterday. I, I, you know, I, I thought if they're really just looking at this as a, as a legal issue and not political, I do think you're in the range of 8190. All right, Shannon, uh, I look forward to – when do you think we're going to get this verdict? Um, you know what? I think it's a matter of days. They Either yesterday or today they had their private conference where they would vote on it, and then you assign the opinions and start writing. But I think because this thing happened so quickly, you'll get it within days or weeks, not months. What about the immunity? Well, when are we going to find out if the Supreme Court is going to take the immunity appeal? So, listen, the Trump team has until Monday to either file for a stay at the Supreme Court on that losing immunity decision or actually appeal the decision to the Supreme Court. That's the only thing that would sort of stop the clock. If they don't do that, then that lower court case is back in action. Judge Tuckin, it's back on. But if the Supreme Court decides to get involved, that really slows everything down by weeks or months and um, pushes things really much further along in the election calendar. And that will probably be the best thing to, for the Trump campaign. That would be their best case scenario. All right. Uh, she is Shannon Bream. We're going to be watching a Fox News Sunday because we're going to check our local listings. I'll see you Saturday night first. All right. Go get him, Shannon. Back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Remember to check out Brian's show, One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. If you already have plans, set up that DVR and watch when you get home. That's One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. Be there. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The daily average is under 10 a day. It shows that deterrence can achieve results at decreasing illegal immigration. The only reason why it's not happening is because the President of the United States is not enforcing the laws that are already on the books. He does not need more laws. He has the tools in his toolbox to do exactly what Texas is doing. And that's to deny illegal entry into the country, which he is required to do by laws already passed by Congress. So what you saw yesterday, and it was easy to get smothered by the, the amount of major news stories, was Governor Greg Abbott called a press conference to say, we put up the wall. We've almost got it down to zero. I put a bunch of containers, put some razor wire there, have my own National Guard do it. 
I told the, the federal government, I'll dare you to even take it down. They're not tr- looking for that confrontation. And they said it's gone so well, we're building more of it. And they fed, he went on to say, we've built more of the Trump wall than Trump was able to do. And the courts kept stopping him. They're doing it. And think about this, how desperate it is. It's almost like farmers doing it themselves, people showing up to say, how can I help? So he's over in Eagle Pass shutting it down in those key locations. But unless everybody does it, they're going to go to places that are more permissible, like California, like New Mexico. And I think to the, to a degree, um, to a degree, I think that uh, Arizona is beginning to realize this is not partisan, that we're seeing some of that. But what it's doing is rippling effect. It's affecting crime in New York City and gives other people hope, or Republicans, that they might have a major breakthrough. Listen to Mayor Javier Villalobos. Uh, he told Fox News Digital that the indeed over in uh, El Paso, indeed, this is a mess, but it's both parties. Because he's a Democrat, by the way, so he's got to kind of cover himself. Cut 41. I don't trust many people at all anymore. And a lot of the times I kind of place blame on either party. At the time that uh, President Trump was there, they had uh, they had the majority, nothing occurred. Now you have Biden, nothing is occurring until very close to the election. So I think they're just kicking the ball and do, trying to do whatever they can. But but for the purposes of politics, not for the purposes of benefiting the American people. Be great for someone to keep the American people uh, uh, in their mind. So meanwhile... I'm watching a tale of two things in New York City. In New York City, we have Alvin Bragg two weeks after this horrible attack on two of our cops by illegal aliens. He's got an indictment from a grand jury on seven people, two of which were already in his midst. And they are now long gone. We're trying to catch up to him around the country. They're probably going to a sanctuary state like California. And then number two, you have in Nassau County, in the same state, they don't care about uh, uh, they don't care about being politically correct. This guy who crossed through seven countries to get to ours beats up an American Jewish person, steals their flag. They get in a fight. This guy gets prosecuted $50,000 bail. He's still in jail right now. That's it. That's called enforcing the law, like Florida does. Brian Kilmichel, back in the morning. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's nothing that Patrick can do, in my opinion, that takes away from what I tried to accomplish in my career. And there's nothing that I did can take away from what he's trying to accomplish. I I feel like all I tried to be was the best I could be. Even though I had sporting idols, I could never be Steve Young. I could never be Joe Montana. Those are the guys I, I could never be Dan Marino or John Elway. These were my childhood idols and they had incredible careers and they put as much as they could into their career. And I really respect them for that. And, and I just tried to do the same thing. So Tom Brady saying he can't compare me and Patrick Mahomes, but he's off to a similar start. Much different quarterbacks, obviously. Brady rarely ran. Uh, Mahomes is always a threat to run. They got this resourcefulness about them. They both didn't play right out of the box. Both were supposed to be uh, – Mahomes was supposed to be good, not this good, and no one expected much out of Brady as a six-round draft pick. But it leads to a lot of intrigue with Brock Purdy on the other side, the last pick in the draft famously that he's tired of hearing about. But he also showed last week that he could run, and he's an extremely bright guy. That four years of starter in college seems to have really helped. And uh, the running games on both sides are going to be really effective and matter. Marshall Falk knows all about that. Pro Football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champ, former Indianapolis Colt, and St. Louis Rams player. Got a great uh, support over in St. Louis still. And he's also uh, he's got his foundation for a drug-free uh, world, and he's still a spokesperson there. Marshall, welcome back. 
Brian, what's going on, man? How you doing? Good, good. So how's Vegas treating you? Vegas is good, man. It's 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 proven to be a, an amazing host for the Super Bowl. It's like it's like a match made in heaven. Like why haven't we done this yet? <laughs> and they were always afraid of gambling, right? They were afraid of association. What changed? They've leaned. They've leaned in, haven't they? That's changed. <laughs> what did they tell you about gambling when you were a player? Do you do you remember getting these the seminars? Yeah, just stay away from it. You don't want to be associated or affiliated with anybody. That's that, that's a known gambler or gamblers or bookies and stuff like that. Just stay away from it. What are the rules now for players? Um, I think that uh, now um, fantasy football is accepted. I mean, Brian, when I was in the league, we couldn't even play fantasy football. That was like that wow. was taboo. So so now now I mean, players can represent um, gambling sites and stuff like that. But um, it just can't gamble on football. You can't do any of the wagering on football still. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And also, if you give information out, that could be problematic. Yeah, you know, uh, my running back's ankle is pretty bad. Don't expect him to do much. That could change the whole line. These guys really yep. have to watch themselves. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Listen, um, sometimes your friends and the people around you, uh, they, they're, they're, they're looking for little keys and little information. And you think a casual conversation is, is just that, and it turns into – information or fodder for somebody that's that's that's, that's gambling that's, that's betting on your team so right. you got to be careful who you surround yourself with today's game so do you think the uh the dwi of patrick mahomes dad is a distraction i don't know how i mean you know he, he's human we're all human things happen um i i don't see why i mean uh, his dad doesn't have to play the game i mean unless unless patrick's going to be affected by his, his, his father getting a DWI. Right. I know nobody else on the team care. I hear you. So when you talk about two, the two running games, two exp- impressive running backs, you got Pacheco and you got McCaffrey. What does Marshall Falk think first of McCaffrey? Yeah, can I say this first, Brian? Do you understand, like, all these weeks of the NFL, we never talk about running backs. And now we get down to the Super Bowl, and it's time to talk running backs. Isn't that great? I love it. I just love it. Listen, two dynamic guys. They're they're uh, different. They're a little different in the sense that Isaiah Pacheco is a complement to what they do, and Christian McCaffrey is a centerpiece for what the 49ers do. But all in all, all in all, you have you have um, guys that are reliable. Uh, they can play all three downs. Um, they can run the ball inside, outside, catch and pass block. Which is you know when when I look when I played the game was something that that I wanted to do. Um, I always tell people the best the best ability is availability, and if you can be available at all times, your team is gonna gonna be able to depend and rely on you. Do you think it's a phase of the game and the style of game that the running backs are diminished? You never see two back sets. You don't hear about the fullback and halfback like you did in the '80s and maybe '70s. Do you think there's just a phase? Do you th- or you think running backs are are pretty much going to be different from here on in? Well, I, I think the position is just looked at as different. And, 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 and all throughout the game, uh, teams, they find ways that when guys get hurt, you continue to play and you're expected to win. It's almost starting to happen with quarterbacks as well. But the running back position, most teams, instead of having one dynamic guy, are going to have two and three guys that do a bunch of stuff so you always have the next man up mentality. The position is still important. They're just finding ways of, uh, of, of getting it done with more than just one guy. And, um, and, 
I'm going to tell you, when, when you when you remove the two pieces that we're talking about from the respective teams, there's some loss. There's a little there's a little difference when they're when they're not in there. But what the teams have figured out is how you how do you keep it going when those guys are are are, are deemed up or you give them a break? They figured out how to keep it going. Right. And do uh, last thing on the game? What about your prediction? Um, I man, it's just hard to go against Patrick Mahomes. You know, it's like, oh, you know what? He hadn't won a playoff game on the road. He goes to Buffalo and wins. Oh, man, he hadn't been, hadn't been the defense like Baltimore. He go to Baltimore and wins. I just, I can't, I, I, here's what I can't figure out. I can't figure out how do you beat Patrick Mahomes without your quarterback outplaying him. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see Brock Purdy outplaying Patrick Mahomes. I just don't see it. I'm, I, I can't lie. So, okay, so you think, uh, you think it's going to be the Chiefs? Kansas City, yeah, yep. So, so uh, in a time in which, since you started this program with the drug-free uh, world uh, foundation, uh, this thing sometimes has changed. I mean, pot is now legal now. People are talking about micro-dosing uh, of mushrooms. Other people talk about the yeah. benefits of, of psychedelic mushrooms. How has that changed your message? It, it hasn't. It hasn't because I'm, I'm all education. Um, and, and for people who, who think that, for people who are hearing that, that's all I'm saying is this here, Brian, because I've never told people not to do drugs. I say educate yourself if you choose to. If you choose to partake, here's where you go, drugfreeworld.org. Get the information and education about what you're going to partake in and make a smart decision. And for kids, for kids, because we're losing a lot of kids because they want to have the experiment or the experience of what somebody told them. It feels good. Fentanyl is everywhere. That experience, it can kill you. It can kill you. I just want people to be educated on what they do. I understand. So where do you go? Drugfreeworld.org. Drugfreeworld.org is where you go to get the education and the information. We have educator kits. We have classes you can take. We have everything. And here's the best part about it. People, it's free. It is free. You do not have to pay for it. Got it. Uh, all right, Marshall, stay safe. Great to hear from you again. Thanks so much for joining us. Likewise, man. Take, take care. You got it. Uh, Marshall Fox. So um, we'll, when we come back, we got a few more minutes to be able to take some calls and final thoughts about where we're going now. And do you think that they're having a, a meeting of the minds on the Democratic Party saying we, we got to make a change? Uh, this report's going to be impossible to shake. And I think so far we're looking at President Trump. I think he's doing a smart thing, laying out. Let Joe Biden be the story. It works to your benefit. <clears throat> You'll listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What a challenge. You know, you got... Um, Mahomes and what he does and their team, they're special, man. They're, they're winners. You know, they've proven that over however many years he's been there. Um, so for us to be able to, to go back and play them is going to be sweet. It's going to be special for all of us. And, uh, you know, I wasn't here, obviously, in 19. But from just like you could just tell the guys that have been here, like, if anybody, it would be, be special for them to play these guys. So I'm excited to be a part of it. 
Uh, so that's Brock Purdy. He's tired of doing interviews, obviously, so he is done now. It's about 48 hours. You focus on the game. You've heard from both teams. They are not anywhere near the strip. They're away from the strip. They're not hanging out there, so they pick their spots. These guys aren't going to get caught doing anything compromising. I think those days are over. So uh, we'll keep you up to date on what's, on, on what's happening with that game. Uh, next year, we'll definitely be there. New Orleans is another great site to host the Super Bowl, and we will actually be there uh, for that game. I can't tell you who's in the game yet. But uh, the good news is nobody can. So we'll see this game play out. And I think uh, I'm hard-pressed to find anyone who doesn't think it's going to be a fantastic contest. Meanwhile, uh, Joe Biden had an opportunity about 4 o'clock Eastern time, two hours before game time, to sit down in front of maybe 50 million people, and he turned it down. Why would he turn it down? Perhaps because he knew this was coming out. Perhaps because he knew that he's making a lot of mistakes lately and his people didn't want to put him forward. But to me, Gail King interviewing President Biden, he'd have a couple of tougher questions. But if you're not capable of answering anything, you clearly can't be president. But if you are running for office, why would you turn down an audience that big? Clearly, Joe Biden was spinning yesterday. He came out, and I haven't gotten a good explanation yet. We assume it was on his insistence to give a press conference. It's that damning report that said the only reason he wasn't going to be prosecuted is because he's so forgetful and aged that he'll be too sympathetic for, an, for a jury. So listen to, listen to this question and listen to the angry answer. Cut six. First of all, what I would have done is overseeing the transfer of the material that was in my office, in my offices. I should have done that. If I go back, I didn't have the responsibility to that. That was my staff was supposed to do that, and they referenced that in the report. And my staff did not do it in the way that, for example, I didn't know how half the boxes got in my garage until I found out staff gathered them up, put them together, and took them to the garage in my home. And all the stuff that was in my home was in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked. It was in my house. It wasn't out in, like, in Mar-a-Lago in a public place where, and none of it was high classified. Didn't have any of that red stuff on it. You know what I mean? Around the corners? None of that. There was so much more than red stuff. Have you seen the pictures? The pictures are everywhere, and the boxes are so frayed and old, they could not even pick them up from the handles. They had to take them out piece by piece. Seven million documents, text messages, and emails, but physical documents. So they did this over countless days in 140, uh, 147 separate interviews, two of which, which was the President of the United States. What I think is overlooked through all this. People are focused on when they said no conviction. They love that, dude, does the White House. And then you say, well, he's too diminished, essentially, with the terrible memory. In order to convict, he'd be too sympathetic to a jury. People are stuck on that. You know what I'm stuck on? Over the course of decades, he was taking classified documents home, somehow beating the skiff security, and just having them haphazardly everywhere. Remember, his lawyer found him in the University of Pennsylvania. They found thousands, millions of documents in the University of Delaware. Then they find him in both his homes, his garage, and his attic. That, to me, is unbelievable. Do you know that some of these classified documents are related to human services? These are human assets in the field laying out. They talk about his staff having to come in after he does a session or a study session, a reading session, and the stuff is just laying around the house when he was vice president. Isn't that indicative that this guy can't do the job? Doesn't he have proper respect for the job? Be different if it's your first term. But this guy's been doing the same thing since he was 29. He went out of his way to say a big distinction between him and Trump. Cut five. 
I was especially pleased to see Special Counsel make clear the stark distinction and difference between this case and Mr. Trump's case. The Special Counsel wrote, and I quote, several material distinctions between Mr. Trump's case and Mr. Biden's are clear, continuing to quote, most notably, after giving multiple chances to return classified documents to avoid prosecution, Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. According to the indictment, he not only refused to return the documents for many months, he also obstructed justice by enlisting others to destroy evidence and then to lie about it. Okay. In contrast, he went on to say Mr. Biden turned in classified documents to the National Archives and the Department of Justice, consented to the search of multiple locations, including his home, sat for a voluntary interview, and in other ways cooperated with the investigation, end of quote. All right. Little problem with that. Not true. Number one, what happened with Trump is Trump is being litigated. People are talking about it. Uh, he says that he was in talks to move the stuff out. He was holding on to some of it. I don't know why he didn't just do it. Why create more problems when you know running for president? But when you talk about obstruction, he said there is a recording of him saying to his, to his ghostwriter, look at these classified documents I have. And they took it out and read it together because this guy recorded it. When you talk about obstruction, for some reason, as soon as Robert Hur was named special prosecutor. The ghostwriter deleted his recordings, realizing he could get himself in trouble. He admitted to it. So then they reclaimed it, found a way to get it back, and they got transcripts for it. But when you have transcripts, it's a lot different than reading it, especially well, listening to it, especially when you hear Joe Biden speak and how he much looked better on tape and how you can swipe certain names out. Like, for example, Mitterrand was swiped out from Macron when he screwed up who the French leader was. So this happened over decades. What do you think of Trump? This happened in months. And now he's going to be indicted on, on this documents case. So, and he is indicted. But now we're going to, you know, that is in somewhat of a delay. But when he came out and said things about Trump, knowing, I would assume knowing that he's done the same exact thing. Clearly, he did not help himself. And that's the point from Alyssa Farrah Griffin. She was on CNN. She's also on The View. But cut 14. I don't think the president did himself any favors in that speech. Um, he undercut two of his biggest messages. The adults are back in charge by sort of being dismissive of, yes, he was exonerated. He's not going to be convicted or tried for this. But there's some really damning pieces of information in here. He had deliberations around Afghan war plans with him. He spoke to a biographer about classified documents who didn't have clearance. This showed a decent level of reckless mishandling of classified information. He, and he, said, he said in that that he did he, he said that he didn't. Um, so I think there was a dismissiveness to the seriousness of this. And then on the other hand, they were using this bizarre line to say he stepped away from an international crisis, the biggest attack on our ally Israel since the Holocaust, to go deal with a self-inflicted investigation by the Department of Justice. How is that supposed to inspire confidence? Yes, and that was my initial point. You have an appointment to speak to Robert Hur or his hired lawyers, but yet the October 7th attacks happen, and then the aftermath. And the big fear is, will this spiral out of control? Will this be like 1973, another Yom Kippur war where all Arab nations rally be like Hezbollah and Hamas did to take out Israel? And we have to sit there and reprogram and uh, and rechart all our aircraft carriers and reconfigure the push over to Asia. And it's got to happen instantly just in case Hezbollah and Hamas try to attack Israel proper all at once. Plus, our assets and our people now have to be protected because we are the aider of and the ally of Israel. And he still sits down for a seven-hour interview with Robert Hur. You don't think he could just say, hey, Robert, 
Can't do this today. You know what's going on in the world. That's also terrible judgment, don't you think? Well, I'll talk about all that when I'm in person October, excuse me, April 27th. I'm going to be uh, over in Nevada, just outside uh, outside Las Vegas in Henderson. And I want you to go to uh, BrianKilme.com and get tickets. Also, VIP opportunities. At which time, most of the time, we talk about history. It's going to be, it's going to be history, liberty, and laughs. And on stage, recreating great moments in our past, having a great time with things of the day, feeling better about the country. It's a red, white, and blue event. So go grab tickets. First time in Las Vegas in, in a long time. But I'm missing this year's Super Bowl. But I'll be back there April 27th. So hopefully everybody in the listening area. Most times people go there for a vacation. So maybe half the audience will be people there just for a few days. So plan your vacation right around it. Hop in an Uber and come out to the theater. BrianKillMe.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Don't forget One Nation, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday night, Fox News Channel. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.